Well, last time in 1 Timothy 6, we saw Paul trying to end the letter. Um, he's not going to succeed again tonight, but uh, he's, he's trying, but he keeps fitting stuff in that seems important. But last week there in verse 11 and 12, but you, O man of God, in contrast to those who are preaching the word for gain and telling their people that godliness is a way to get rich on earth, he says, no. You flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness, purity. He's going to say in a minute, and just the list goes on. Fight the good fight. It's a good fight. It's a worthy fight. Lay hold on eternal life. Again, eternal life is not eternal existence because everybody's going to have eternal existence. In Revelation 20, verse 15, it says, Those names who are not written in the book of life will go into everlasting darkness. They will live forever separated from God. So we will have a new heavens and a new earth. <laughs> we're gonna start up the re we're gonna restart up the Adam and Eve story, but there'll be a whole bunch of us. But we'll have been through life choosing God against our wicked bodies, which we often fail, against the wicked world, the spirit of this age, against Satan. And we're going to keep doing that. And then we're going to wrestle for a thousand years as kings and priests under our God and our bodies with planet Earth as it repopulates after the tribulation period. So we're going to see a lot of rebellion and a lot of people having Jesus. <laughs> they can go to Jerusalem, the whole highways of the world built in such a way they can go to Jerusalem and be with Jesus, hear Jesus. They can go and there's a river and the leaves are there for the healing of the nations. Or they can choose to not obey God. And believe it or not, a lot of people are going to do that. At the end of the tribulation period, or excuse me, at the end of the millennial period, Satan is released for the last time from hell. And he can tempt man on earth. And you would think, after a thousand years of solid Bible teaching from Jesus, it would be almost nobody that would choose the lies of the enemy. But you would be wrong. There are scores of people on the earth who secretly, in their hearts, resented Jesus, resented all of us holy and thou people and goody two-shoe people and wanting to sing and praise God and speak about spiritual things. They, they, they hated it. And when Satan gave them an option, they take it. Unbelievable. There's one final battle we get to fight in that final millennial reign. Isn't God good? We get to kick the butt of Satan one final time before we go into new heavens and the new earth. I mean, God's thought through this thing for us, hasn't he? I mean, what is sweeter than that? And so, right now, it's hard in this body. It's hard in this world. It's hard with demons attacking us and oppressing us and tempting us. But eternal life is now. It is walking with God, like Adam and Eve did. They were eternal beings until they chose to listen to the devil. 
And so grab onto eternal life, the quality of a life walking with God. You were called to this. You confess the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And we pick up tonight in verse 13. I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things before Christ Jesus, who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate, that you keep this commandment without spot, blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ appearing. I think, I think Paul was, was getting fired up when he's dictating this letter. You know, I don't think it was all like, uh, in the sight of God, you know, before Jesus Christ, the great, you know, before Pontius Pilate. And I, I don't think so. I think he's getting fired up. Tell him in the sight of God, who gives life to all things, before Christ Jesus, who witnessed a good confession before Pontius Pilate, keep these commandments without spot, blemish, until the Lord's appearing. In the sight of God. You know, that solves a lot of problems. <laughs> if we just remember, the Lord is with us. And he is observing us. And angels around about us observing us. If we're spiritually aware, we can catch those angels every once in a while. The Bible says, that we, if you're not thinking about it, you'll, you'll, you'll be talking to an angel and you'll be unaware of it. But in Hebrews it says, try to be aware. Catch that. Hey, I don't think that was a guy. Looked like a young man, but I think he was an angel. And then... To realize in the sight of God, the one who gives life to all things. Timothy, it's a difficult battle, but it's a good fight, but it's difficult. And so to realize we're going to stand before God, give an account to all we do in our body, good and bad knowing that we reap what we sow and you're sowing all these seeds and watering all these seeds and you're, you're fighting temptation and every time you fight it, James says we get a crown in heaven for fighting over the temptation. Keep fighting it and, and realize the God who gave us life is with you. And now he's going to begin to describe Jesus. First of all, he says, he had a tough battle. He felt alone. He was alone. All his apostles left him. The main point of Jesus once he was arrested was that of a lamb who was dumb before his shares. Shares said not a word. That was who he was from being arrested till he was crucified. But he did have a very few select words to say here and there and they were very minimal but he stood before Pilate here he is this little carpenter from Nazareth bloodied black and blue been beaten as a lamb that's been slain before the foundations of the world he stood there and Pilate and all his pomp and glory and power of the Roman government, Jesus stood toe-to-toe -to -toe with him. He first tells him, Pilate says, so are you the king of the Jews? Yep, it is as you say. That's all he said. Yeah. And then Pilate began to 
get on to him for not talking more and said, you, you need to talk and defend yourself. Jesus wouldn't do it. And then finally, Pilate said, you, you don't get it. I've got the power to let you go. And Jesus says in John 19, 11, no power do you have except what my Father allows you to have. And Timothy, like Jesus, you may feel weak, you may feel like a little guy in front of big, giant, powerful, rich people, but you need to stand strong like Jesus did in those situations. And how long do you got to do it? Until Jesus Christ appears. Let me explain to you what this means. A long time. There's no short battle here. It's longer than we want. We think we've come to the very end of ourselves. What did Paul say in 2 Corinthians? I was pushed above strength, beyond, or beyond strength. I can't think of the words now. I know that like the back of my hand. I'm having a senior moment. Above strength, beyond measure, despairing of life itself. It's close enough. But I, I was at the end of myself. I, I, had, I had a death sentence in myself. I thought it was over. But nope, it was to keep going on longer. I love this quote by Dave Guzik. There is always danger that a good effort will simply not last long enough and end in defeat. I'm from San Diego, the land of the Chargers. I cannot tell you how many times we were killing it in the first half. <laughs> and we were so excited. And then to watch the lead dwindle, dwindle, dwindle. We've been ahead numerous times all the way through the third, third quarter. But unfortunately, there are four quarters. And we can have a very good lead and end up losing. You can't be great for three quarters. And the same with our reward in heaven. We've got to hang in there and keep fighting the fight. A good fight, you're doing a good fight, but it's got to go till the end or it ends up being a loss. Then in verse 15 and 16, which he will manifest in his own time, he who is the blessed and holy potentate, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, dwelling in approachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. I think Paul ended there. He didn't. We got some more verses next week. <laughs> Sounded like he ended, but he didn't. But he's just so on fire here. First of all, he is going to manifest all these things in his own time. It tells us that. In, in Romans 5, it says Christ died at the perfect time. In Genesis 3, it says that Satan's going to crush your head, devil. God, excuse me, God's going to crush Satan's head, the serpent, but the serpent's going to bite his heel. But yet, even at that time, he knew the very moment 
he would breathe his last. There's no coincidences in God's kingdom. God's never surprised. He knows all things. And he is coming again, but it's going to be in his time. He is God. It's his ball. It's his bat. It's his game. It's his field. He invented it. It's going to be in his time. How is that set with us as humans? Horrible. Because we're, we're done. It's over for us. You know, we're like little four-year-old, you know, I'm ready to go home. I'm done. It seems to us that God is mistaken in his timing. But we can't forget 2 Peter 3.9. The Lord's not slack concerning his promise. It's not about him failing us here. As some count slackness, but his long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. There's the real point. He loves those who have not yet come to him, and he's keeping the door open way too long. But that's just who he is. He is, he who is. And now he's going to tell Timothy who the leader is in God's army. You know, that helps. You know, men who followed Napoleon, they loved Napoleon. Those who followed Alexander the Great, they loved Alexander the Great. You know, having a great leader who's also a great soldier, who's this incredible guy roughing it alongside with his soldiers and fighting in the battle, such a, a commander can bring great allegiance, can it? Timothy, that may be part of the reason you're having a hard time here is you've got to realize who our commander, our general, is. It's Jesus. He's blessed. He's the most blessed human that's ever existed on the earth. Abraham was prophesied about this seed. Remember in Genesis 12, verse 2, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And in you, Romans 4 tells us, through his seed, referring to the Messiah, Jesus, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In this son of Abraham, this son of David, the Messiah would come into human flesh, God Almighty, to be all in all. He's everything. He's the second Adam that did not fail. <laughs> He's the one who could be the perfect lamb to carry all our sins. Because he was man, he could be man's substitute. Because he was God, he could be the substitute for all men's for all time. In Jesus was one giant blessing that permeated all the way back to Adam, permeates all the way into the future, those who will believe upon his name. In Christ, every single person, sins have been forgiven. In Christ, the blessings of forgiveness, the blessings of eternal life, by simply believing, not by works, but simply by believing in him, a person can be blessed with eternal life. Isn't that incredible? Jesus is 
blessed and he is a blessing he's the only potentate that's not a word we use every day is it but Paul here is coming up with a big one trying to say above kings above you know whatever it is Pharaohs or Abimelechs or whatever the potentates name is if you combine them all together <laughs> there's not a potentate title big enough for Jesus Nebuchadnezzar a great potentate had to learn this didn't he <laughs> remember God tells the prophet if I were to tell you what I'm gonna do with Israel next you wouldn't believe me no I'm sure I would you see that little tiny village over there Babylon that little nothing dirt place with a bunch of Arabs it's going to become the greatest kingdom on the earth and I'm going to use them to destroy Israel because of their idolatry and sacrificing their babies to demons and for their wickedness and sure enough he didn't believe it it's like how can you use a wicked nation to spank your your kids he said I told you you wouldn't believe it <laughs> but remember he carried away the real cream of the crop in that first deportation from Israel to Babylon and there he got Daniel and uh, we know their Babylonian names better Shadrach, Shishak and Abednego and those guys were amazing guys they were made eunuchs so they wouldn't mess with the, the king's gals they were educated though with the best education and because they would not participate in the idol worship, which was a hard thing to do in their situation, God gave them supernatural wisdom and gifts. Mm. And they stood far above all the other peoples they had conquered throughout the world and all the smartest of the smartest, they, were, they shined. And Nebuchadnezzar had a troubling dream. And he said, hey, can you tell me what that means? And, Daniel said, King, you need to start humbling yourself now because you have so much to be prideful about. You've, you have done it all and you, you've built things that no one's ever built and the beauty of your kingdom and the riches is like nothing ever before. And you're at the top and, and Satan's going to use that to put pride in your heart and that's going to bring you down. Well, he knew it, but it wasn't enough. He went up on the top of the highest building and looked out and he said, look at all that I have done by my hand and by my power and my great strength. And why he was speaking those words, he was struck dumb like a cow. He, he just lost his mind. But do you grab a king and force him into a room or into... Now he wandered around like an animal. For seven years his hair grew out like the feathers of a bird his fingernails like the claws of a bird he would go around and eat grass with his mouth grazing but at the end of that time when he humbled his heart seven years that's some serious pride <laughs> he finally humbled himself and God 
restored him. And in Daniel 4, verse 34 to 37, at the end of that time, I can Nebuchadnezzar lifted my eyes to heaven, my understanding returned to me, and I blessed the Most High, praised and honored him who lives forever, and his dominion is everlasting dominion. His kingdom is from generation to generation. All inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and no one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? At that same time, my reason returned to me for my glory, my kingdom, my honor, my splendor returned to me. My counselors, my nobles resorted to me. I was restored to my kingdom and excellent majesty was added to me. Humble yourself, God can lift you up even higher. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, all whose works are truth, his ways justice, and those who walk in pride he's able to put down. You know, we often think of going to heaven and seeing Abraham and David and Moses, and we're going to be with these guys for a thousand years on the millennial reign. It'd be pretty cool. Hey, David, you want to go fishing? Oh, yeah, let's go. But we don't think often about the Nebuchadnezzars. He's going to be there as one of God's children who believed. But yes, Timothy, we have a potentate that can humble the greatest of the potentates. Jesus said this again to Pilate. I mentioned it a minute ago, but I want to read it now. In John 19, verse 10 and 11, Then Pilate said to him, Are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have power to crucify you and power to release you? And Jesus answered, You have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has a greater sin. Then he goes on, he says, And the King of kings and Lord of lords. Again, another great quote from Dave Guzik. The majesty of man fades in comparison to the glory of Jesus. The richest, smartest, most influential person on earth are miniatured compared to King Jesus, who alone has immortality. Jesus says, as the Father has life in himself, so I have life in myself. As the Father can give life to whom he desires, so the Son can give life to whom he desires. Jesus was, yes, in human flesh, but he was God in human flesh. 100% man, but 100% God, immortal. Again, just to make a quick side note, that's why it's so amazing. It says, the soul that sins shall surely die. Jesus could have hung on that cross forever and not have died. Because he never sinned. But he did die. Why? Because he who knew no sin became sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of Christ. Your sin put him to death. You killed him. It wasn't the Jews. It wasn't the Romans, the Italians. It wasn't them. It was your sin put him to death. It's sort of amazing when you think about Christianity in its infancy and reading the Bible and trying to figure out how to put it in a way that's so clearly understood Paul talking about it here, to be honest with you, it's still not that clear. It's some big words without a lot of explanation. 
Well, the early church fathers put together creeds. One of them is called the Athanasian Creed. Don't be stumbled by the word Catholic. It's not referring to the Catholic Church. It's, it, Catholic means universal Christians. But he says this, and it's going to be a little bit lengthy, but I, you know, every once in a while we should read a creed or two, right? And I see in creed or something. Here's an Athanasian Creed. We worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity, neither confusing the persons nor dividing the being. For the Father is one person, the Son is another, the Spirit still another. But the deity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is one, equal in glory, co-eternal in majesty. What the Father is, the Son is, so is the Holy Spirit. Uncreated is the Father, uncreated is the Son, uncreated is the Spirit. The Father is infinite, the Son is infinite, the Holy Spirit is an infinite. Eternal is the Father, eternal is the Son, eternal is the Spirit. And yet there are three eternal beings, but one who is eternal. And there are not three uncreated, unlimited beings, but one who is uncreated and unlimited. Almighty is the Father, Almighty is the Son, Almighty is the Spirit. Yet there are not three Almighty beings, but one who is Almighty. Right? The Lord our God is one Lord. Thus the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God, and yet there are not three gods, but one God. Says the Father is Lord, the Son is Lord, the Holy Spirit is Lord, and yet there are not three lords, but one Lord. As Christian truths compel us to acknowledge each distinct person as God and Lord, so Catholic religion forbids us to say that there are three gods or lords. The Father was neither made, nor created, nor begotten. The Son was neither made, nor created, but was alone begotten of the Father. The Spirit was neither made, nor created, but is proceeding from the Father and the Son. Thus there is one Father, not three fathers, one Son, not three sons, one Holy Spirit, not three spirits. And in this Trinity, no one is before or after, greater or lesser than the other. But all three persons are in themselves co-eternal, co-equal. And so we must worship the Trinity in unity, the one God in three persons. Whoever wants to be saved should think thus about the Trinity. It is necessary for eternal salvation that one also faithfully believe that our Lord Jesus Christ became flesh. For this is the true faith that we believe and confess, that our Lord Jesus Christ, God's Son, is both God and man. He is God, begotten before a world from the being of the Father and as man, born in the world from the being of his mother, existing fully as God, fully as man, with rational soul and a human body, equal to the Father in divinity, subordinate to the Father in humanity. In John it says, the Father is greater than I. It's a very specific Greek word that is about authority, not in quality of person. So the Father is greater. He is the first person in authority of the Trinity. Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. And so he says here, but he is subordinate to the Father in humanity. Although he is God and man, he is not divided, but one Christ. He is united because God has taken humanity into himself. He does not transform deity into humanity. 
He is completely one in the unity of his person, without confusing his natures. For as the rash, rational soul and body are one person, so one Christ is God and man. He suffered death for our salvation. He descended into hell and rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. At his coming, all people shall rise bodily to give an account of their deeds. Those who have done good will enter eternal life. Those who have done evil will enter eternal fire. This is the Catholic, the universal faith. One cannot be saved without believing this firmly and faithfully. Powerful, isn't it? These guys were just geniuses, how they came up with it so clearly. He alone is immortality. To him be honor. Now we're not talking about Jesus in humanity on earth. We're talking about Jesus still in humanity. When Jesus came into human flesh, it wasn't just for earth time. Hebrews tells us it's for eternity. That when we see him, his scars remain. The body he raised with, an eternal body, is exactly what's going to happen to us. John says, little children, I don't know what we're going to be like, but when I know when we see him, we'll be just like him. We have a human body that will be turned into a heavenly human body, but we'll always be earthlings. Okay, we're always earthlings and human bodies will be earthlings and heavenly bodies. Jesus was God in human flesh. Jesus now is in a heavenly human flesh and is still God. He, we don't become God, but he allows us to become equal brothers with him equal children of God with him. Jesus actually says, and you'll sit upon the throne with me. This is supposed to humble us. Okay? It's supposed to get us deep. That when Jesus gave us eternal life, he just didn't give us a, you know, backseat row <laughs> in some faraway place. We all got the front row seat Amen. with Christ and brand new bodies. The righteousness that Jesus has, we don't have a similar one. We have the righteousness of Christ. These are all a mystery. But Jesus says, Father, as I'm in you, you are in me, that we would be in them and they in us in a perfect unity. It's, it's, it's astounding. It truly is. And this is what Paul is trying to get through to young Timothy who is tired in the battle, wanting to set down his sword and shield and, and say, I think I fought long enough. It's time to retire. He's saying, I'm sorry. It's until the Lord's appearing we signed up for. But boy, we get it when we read Revelation 5 and 7. Revelation 5, 13 and 14 we get to see these little glimpses of us in heaven. This is us, guys. Every creature which is in heaven on earth, under the earth, such as in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Then four living creatures said, Amen. The 24 elders fell down and worshipped him who lives forever and ever. 
In Revelation 7, verse 9 through 12, after these things I looked and behold the great multitude which no one could number, all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, palm branches in our hands, crying out with a loud voice saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, Amen. Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Be honor and everlasting power. People often ask the question, well, if God's all powerful, then why doesn't he stop all the evil? He is. <laughs> in his timing. We started out by saying in his timing. He is all powerful and he can stop it because he's all powerful. And he is going to stop it because he's all good. But if you received the Lord 10 years ago, if he stopped it 11 years ago, you would have been part of the evil he did away with. Aren't you glad that he waited? <laughs> Again, we read in Second Peter earlier, in chapter three, it says, "To the Lord, a thousand years is a day, and a thousand years in a and to the one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is a day." So, six thousand years since creation, it's been six days. And and one way of looking at it, I've I've lived. 60 of those and it seems like a second I can see that I mean 60 years is but a second and a second is but 60 years sure feels that way but again all of this is because the Lord is not willing that any should perish but if there's one more person yet that can believe believe but as we're going to get to second Timothy it tells us that we're at the last days men grow evil and more evil perilous times are the last days men being deceived and deceiving and then believing their own deception their ears no longer want to hear the truth only to be tickled so those amount of people that will believe it's shrinking quickly the Lord's coming is soon and then we end with the final word amen you know I, I thought maybe I'd just give a little history lesson in case we don't know what the word amen is and because we're used to my sermons usually being an hour and a half, so I'm not preaching that long tonight. So, but it's actually a Jewish custom. They did it in Judaism. It's a Hebrew word. Somebody says, you know any other language? I know Hebrew. Amen. Hallelujah. And so they would say this. And, and it, was, it was meaning in, in the prayer or after the end of the prayer, is I'm in agreement with this. So be it, Lord. I uh, Everything that that guy just prayed, I prayed it with him. <laughs> I agree with him. We, I just prayed it also. So that's pretty cool. Somebody prays a great prayer, you say amen. You prayed the great prayer too. Amen. Um, <laughs> now at the beginning of a sentence, the word amen means verily, assuredly, surely, truly. We see Jesus saying truly, truly, or verily, verily, I say unto you. That's the word amen. But at the end of the sermon, it's saying, I'm in agreement with that, Lord. And where Jesus said two or three together, so in agreement 
Whatever is bound on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever is loosed on earth is loosed in heaven according to God's will. Well, boy, what a perfect ending, but it's not the ending. <laughs> really summing up, Paul's talking about here, fight the good fight, grab a hold on eternal life. Remember, we have a great general, a great commander, a great king, a great lord. He's the king of kings, the lord of lords. No potentate like him. He's Jesus, our brother. Jesus, our friend. Jesus, our savior. Jesus, who gives us equally all things in heaven as he has. His inheritance is our inheritance. His God is our God. His Father is our Father. His throne is our throne. His heaven is our heaven. His righteousness is our righteousness. We have a good fight. So Philippians 3.13, I think, says it well, and also verse 14. Brethren, I do not count myself to apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Hmm. Lord, we thank you for this word tonight. We thank you, God, that you're washing us in the water of your word. You're strengthening us. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And we'd know the truth and the truth would set us free. And we are clean to the word that you've spoken unto us. And we are your disciples if we continue in your word. Lord, just right now, just let this be worship in our hearts. We know very, very, very soon we're not going to be reading these words in the future anymore. It's going to be Wow, I remember reading about this scene in Revelation, and now here we are. Beholding the seraphim and the seraphim and bumping into well-known figures throughout history who loved you, Jew and Gentile, peasants and kings, the thief on the cross and Mary Magdalene who once had seven demons in her, and so many others so thankful for you being our Savior. We're so unworthy, but you are so worthy. You know, as we begin to worship here at a couple of more songs before we end, this is a time that when you just want to sit with the Lord and Jesus is here, where two or three are gathered in his midst, he's here with us. And this is a time where you can take right from his hand by faith, the bread and the cup. And as you take that bread, be like the woman with the hemorrhage who said, if I just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be made whole. Take that and say, Lord, here it is. I don't know what is the, the cry of your heart, whether it's for you and your holiness or strength or health or mental health or physical health or maybe for your kids. But meet the Lord and say, God, by your stripes we're healed. Lord, I, I, I claim right now the victory that comes through your broken body. And then to take that cup and to thank him that our sins are forgiven, will be forgiven, in the future are already forgiven. We just claim it over and over again as we humble ourselves and repent and say, Lord, forgive me. He's faithful and righteous to forgive us and cleanse us. And we want to celebrate that, that we have peace in our souls. We're going to heaven because of his blood that was shed for our sins. So there's some communion on the table right back there. You can grab it, take it back to your seat, and just...
continue to worship and receive communion tonight if that's your your heart. If not, don't no need to do it. But if that's in your heart, it's available for you.